Welcome to the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. I'm your host, Jason Dubray. I'm going solo with this episode to go over my uh, choices of the top 10 films of 2022. I usually wait a little bit into the new year so that I can uh, catch some of those uh, limited release movies that are usually come out in, in January and sometimes February in my part of the world. It was, I would say 2022 was an interesting year. It was a good year for film, a lot more, more of a regular year after several years of, of kind of strange things happening due to the pandemic. We're still kind of not at a place where the movie theaters are quite what they what they used to be. Yet, it was a very good year for genre cinema. And by genre cinema, I mean, you know, traditional action movies, blockbusters, horror movies, comedies, that, that sort of thing. But then there was a great crop of, for lack of a better term, the four-year consideration movies, some thought-provoking films for sure. Uh, there's some films that are being uh, heavily celebrated that, you know, will, for my own reasons, are not making my 10 best list this year. I think I had it kind of down to a top 20 so at the end of revealing uh, my top 10 list, I'm going to mention 10 other films that were runners up. I'll list those movies at the end, but I'm going to go into a little, little bit of detail, not too much detail, not a full on review of these films. So I just want to put them out to the world there and have people uh, consider checking them out. And I do have to say that a lot of these movies are quite well known and some of them have been quite successful and have made a lot of money. So starting off with my number 10 choice, and this is a film that I, uh, if you want to listen to rank and review, I, I, I reviewed fairly recently with uh, Larry Parsons. And it's a movie called Barbarian. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. This is 476 Barbary, right? Yeah, I'm renting this place. No, I booked it a month ago. Are you sure you have the right place? Yeah. What am I supposed to do? Why don't you come inside and we'll call these idiots. Why don't you just crash here? Oh, no. I don't know if you got a great look at this neighborhood, but I don't think you should be out there by yourself. It's dry and there's a lock on the door. By the way, I'm Keith. Tess. You take the bedroom, and I'll sleep out here on the couch. Experience. 
This is perfectly natural. It's written and directed by Zach Krager. I ended up watching this one when I was homesick this fall, and I was just looking for something, and it is it had been released, I believe, in September and maybe sometime October, November. Uh, it had appeared on uh, the Disney Plus streaming service, and I, uh, I decided to uh, to check it out. And it was actually in like an afternoon type of a thing, and I was completely blown away by this horror movie. I mean, I think it's one of those things where the first viewing is going to always be the best because there's so many twists and turns in this film that, and you don't always know where it's going. Yet, as Larry and I talked about, it has some pretty familiar conventions of a horror movie. It's just the story and how it's told is is quite clever. I, I do think on the whole, the screenplay is quite good. Certainly not a perfect movie. You know, I was between, uh, and I'll mention horror movies in my runners-up list, kind of came down to the whole experience as well as the story and, and the execution. Uh, I don't want to say too much about it. I still don't really want to ruin this movie for, for people. But it starts off with... A very real life and kind of creepy situation. Tess, played by Georgina Campbell, has late at night arrived at her Airbnb. And when she gets there, she discovers that there's somebody else who's staying at this Airbnb, played by Bill Sarsgaard. And Bill Sarsgaard is best known, I guess, as playing playing, uh, Pennywise in the recent it movies uh so immediately you know we're we're not quite sure about this guy and the opening sequence is just very well written it uh, takes its time uh before we kind of get into the the creepier horror bits and just when we think we kind of know what we're watching the story shifts in a completely different direction and we have a few of these shifts throughout the movie and they're beautifully edited they're put in just at the right moment. And, of course, they, they do all, you know, there's a couple questions you'll have once you get to the end. But I, I think you'll be satisfied with how it all kind of works together. Because there's a few balls in the air, and I think they are uh, successfully, they are caught and uh, landed. Terrific music and just a, a beautiful uh, needle drop, as they say, at the very end of the film. Which uh, makes up for what I think is maybe the weakest scene in the film. But I still just... Ad- admire the uh, horror movie that can surprise me and so that's why i've uh barbarian made the cut at my number 10 spot my number nine choice is a very prominent uh film it's gotten a lot of acclaim kind of throughout the year i saw it fairly recently it's called tar time is the thing time is the essential piece of interpretation. You cannot start without me. I start the clock. However, unlike a clock, sometimes my second hand stops, which means time stops. The reality is that it's not until I once again decide to raise that hand that time is allowed to continue marching along her very merry way.
It's uh, written and directed by Todd Field. Way back in 2001, Todd Field, who was an actor and I had known as an actor uh, primarily through Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut, which is one of my favorite uh, films of the last 25 years and he did this movie called in the bedroom which blew me away and that was my choice as the best film of the year uh, that was a year of beautiful mind one best picture in the bedroom has always stayed with me I, I had it on my favorite films of the decade and Todd Field did one other movie in between um, it was based on a book called uh, little children and that one didn't work as well for me it's still a, a, a good movie with interesting ideas tar is a, a very thought-provoking movie and I think it have three or four different viewings or interpretations uh, which seems to be the case with a lot of the films certainly have made my list in a lot of the films in 2022. It focuses on Kate Blanchett in one of her greatest performances and she's always great. She's playing essentially this 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 maestro named Lydia Tarr and we kind of watch her on this this journey and starting off doing this interview about her career and her upcoming project in Berlin and she's in New York City and then we shift over to a really interesting scene where she's she's teaching this class at um, Juilliard and we see kind of a generational shift in art and artists and a, a very to me thought-provoking scene which of course has a payoff later on and the Depending on maybe your background, the age you are, what, whether you walk away from that scene siding with Lydia or siding with the student who is the kind of the focus of this lecture or this uh, workshop, I kind of might, might say a lot about how you're going to take the rest of the film. I, with one viewing, and I'm going to watch it more than once, took the film quite literally. And I think there's another interpretation out there where you're at a certain point in this film, a key moment, you're supposed to be thinking of this movie in quite a different way. And I, I'm going to watch it again kind of through that lens uh, without spoiling that for the folks who haven't seen it yet. And so the, the layers uh, Todd Field has put into this film are something else where you could see this movie and have a reading of it from kind of a, a millennial or younger point of view, which may be suggesting that uh, we're looking at like an absolute monster and following this this monster through this film. I think there's one where you could be taking a look at how rash judgments can destroy somebody's great career and get into debates about separating the art from the artist. And yet there's this other one which might suggest that what we're looking at is something completely different. It's a fascinating film, very well executed. I know it might be a little bit higher up on some people's lists. I just had a few other films that were at a bit of a, more of an emotional as opposed to cerebral reaction, but I don't want to sort of diminish how well written, directed, and acted Tar is. And certainly all of its acclaim that it's uh, earned is for real, it is le legitimate. And uh, I look forward to uh, more viewings of this, and this might be one that grows on me more and more, where I'm gonna be thinking, oh, maybe I should have put it a little bit closer to, uh, to maybe my top five. But as it stands right now, Tar is my number nine choice. My next choice is one of the most polarizing films, certainly at the last, couple months of 2022. Uh, it's Damien Chazelle's Babylon. I think what we have here in Hollywood is high art. It's... Party size, medical size! 
If you could go anywhere in the whole world, where would you go? I always want to be part of something bigger. Yes. Let's go. Something that lasts, that means something. You know, when I first moved to LA, you know what signs on all the doors read? No actors or dogs allowed. I changed that. Morning. Good job for you. I'll do anything. That's the cocksucker they sent to screw us. Yeah! This bitch is stealing the scene right from my mimi. She's icing her nipples so they perk up through her dress. I ain't icing my nipples. This is natural. Where do you say we come in for my close-up now? What are your thoughts for the future? Shouldn't stand in the way of progress. This is going to be what it's going to be. Here's the twist. Whoa! The girl seems nice. She is. She has no idea what's next. There's a new sensibility now. People care about morals. I've never done nothing except disappoint people my whole life. But I made it on my terms, not theirs. We are going to be more than they ever bargained for. What I do means something. It's bigger than you. either love this movie or they hate it uh, i mean my best way to describe it i guess would be if there was some sort of a combination of moulin rouge boogie nights and 2001 a space odyssey uh that would be babylon it's set in 1920s hollywood the silent era and deals with the change from the 20s to uh, the period of the talkies, to the 19, early 1930s. And we're watching how Hollywood ran at that time. And I, I don't know, the first half an hour of this movie is bizarre. It is, a, it is a party sequence, which is completely out of control. And like one of the early scenes, I was like, I might be watching, this is why I get why people don't like it, one of the worst films of the year. But then... It's kind of like Moulin Rouge, which is so hyperkinetic and hyperactive in the first little bit. And then once it settles down, you realize this is a, quite a good film. A who's who cast? There's there's just an amazing, amazing people uh, in this. I, I, I would highlight certainly Margot Robbie, who has been so great the last several years in several films. I, I really enjoy her performance. It's uninhibited. It's, it's out there. She's not afraid to do anything and look ridiculous. She plays this Nilly LaRue 
Roy wants to get connected to uh, the movies and manipulates her way onto a set and then earns herself uh, a job and they realize that she could be just an amazing actor and she becomes a big star. But the problem for her with her thick New Jersey accent and her uh, issues with alcohol and drugs um, and not being able to hobnob in the uh, high society, which becomes more important later on, there's a strain on her career and a question as to whether she has the longevity to stay in Hollywood as she gets older. Brad Pitt plays, I suppose, like, a, you know, kind of the, the leading man of the day for silent films. And we just kind of watch him kind of on the same day go to this party have his own experience then he goes and he finishes off shooting this movie which has so many so many crazy things going on in the background but he pulls it off but in a similar arc here he's been a a big star and then as the tastes for uh, different types of cinema shift uh, we start to see his star fading and how uh, that affects him. I know I'm a big Brad Pitt fan and I've uh, talked about how how great he is over the years but there's a scene late in this film where Pitt his whole energy and everything about him changes in in one moment and everything is in his eyes. When you see the film just watch his eyes it is remarkable and for that as well as everything else that he does in the film I really do think that Brad Pitt uh, has been uh, overlooked for an Oscar nomination for this film he is tremendous Gene Smart had a quite a great resurgence with uh, hacks and some other uh, TV shows and and limited series that she's been on she plays this kind of gossip entertainment reporter uh, who's gone through uh, and seen all of these changes in Hollywood and has an amazing monologue towards the end of the film. Also want to want to highlight uh, Toby Maguire, who is kind of connected to the producing team. Uh, he has a really interesting extended cameo, which is Toby Maguire, unlike you've ever seen Toby Maguire uh, before. A couple other characters I I, I, I want to highlight. Diego Calva is is very good, and he plays a Mexican gentleman who. Again, kind of stumbles onto the the, the movie sets uh, after the day after this party, and he helps out Brad Pitt, and he ends up kind of becoming more and more prominent to the point where he's actually uh, running the studio. But then we kind of see what happens to him as other dramatic things happen uh, during the story. And then our our, our last character we, we spend some time with is Jovian Adepo, who uh, is playing Sidney Palmer, uh, who is a, a jazz musician who's kind of in the background playing music, playing music at the party at the beginning of the film uh, and plays music for uh, some of the films and then is spotted and, and given a little bit more of a career in, again, this, uh, this, this particular era. And we, we start to see what Hollywood tries to do to this person. Uh, and it's very much relevant to today and how uh, kind of racial politics um, play out in, in, in Hollywood then and throughout and and now as well. And I think your decision on this film and whether you are with me or you are kind of more critical of it depends on how you feel about 
a sequence in the third act. As a lover of cinema uh, and all cinema, there's a sequence that just moves me deeply, but is bizarre and 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 gutsy and interesting. But could like the third act of 2001: A Space Odyssey could turn some people off, and I, I certainly understand it. But it it worked very well for me. I I think I got a little bit uh, teared up. In fact during uh, that sequence and uh, that's not the only time this year I, I I did so I'm not sure what was in the water but I'm a fan of Babylon and I guess I feel like I'm going to be an apologist for it because ultimately I think it it's it's one that was on the outskirts of awards talk this year but uh, I don't think was able to break through because it was a little bit too out there so it's either a giant mess and some parts of it are a mess but I believe intentionally so and I think it's it's trying to make a point and it is trying to celebrate but also be very realistic about the history of hollywood and the history of movie making so that's why i have babylon at number eight on my top 10 list another film that you know maybe could have been accused of being a mess but it's it's done well. It was the Palme d'Or winner at uh, the Cannes Film Festival. My number seven fi film is Triangle of Sadness. So, is this runway casting for a grumpy brand or a smiley brand? So it's a grumpy brand, yeah. Congratulations! Show me that Balenciaga look. Oh, Suddenly I'm dressed in something way less expensive. It's H&M! Yay! Balenciaga! And H&M! Balenciaga! NHL! It looks paid for the tickets. Not bad, huh? <laughs> so what do you do? I sell shit. The success of a luxury cruise mainly depends on you. I don't want to hear anybody saying no. It's always yes, sir, yes, ma'am. I command you, enjoy the moment. No, no, no. <laughs> what? You say no to me? No, no. Oh, so it's yes. It, yeah, no. Yes. Go in. Yes. <laughs> the saints. Do you think it's possible to wash them? I don't think that's possible, ma'am, because this is a motorized vessel. Yeah. So we don't have any sails. It was sails. Yes. Well then, in that case, we will clean the sails. Yes. Of course. Yes. To love. To love. A Russian capitalist. And an American <laughs> communist. Oh. On a $250 million luxury yacht. The ship is going under. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just really bad. This is really, really bad. 
written directed by Ruben Ostland. Again, another movie where you're you're not completely sure where it's going, but we start off following two characters. We have a, a, a male model and his very successful uh, girlfriend, and they get into a bit of an argument, which deals with uh, some 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 interesting gender politics. And then the film shifts on to this kind of luxury cruise uh, with several very rich people and all a whole bunch of different characters. And on the ship, it is it is headed by the captain Woody Harrelson, who has uh, quite a quite a drinking problem as as well as some other uh, interesting ideas. And there is a sequence, an extended sequence of this dinner on this cruise ship that goes so out of control that is so funny. I mean, it is one of the, like, nonstop, I could not stop laughing probably for a solid 20 minutes while this was happening. This is one of the, to me, one of the great comedies of the year, as strange as it is. And then we go into this third act where things have been reversed. And those who were the the ones without privilege and the ones kind of, running things start to have uh, more power and the the ones who don't have the power anymore are the privileged and we see how they they handle that it's in, to me an incredibly fascinating film my favorite performance is dolly de leon as abigail who is in the background uh for for a lot of uh, the film and she she works on this cruise ship and takes a very prominent role in that third act. And it's it's just an interesting performance all around. I think this is some a role that should have earned an Oscar nomination uh, for sure and, and, and has not. But uh, I think over time, people will go back and take a look at this performance and say, uh, like, what happened? Because it is a terrific performance, but everybody is good. Woody Harrelson is absolutely hilarious. And Harris Dixon is does a great job as playing Carl. Charlie B. Dean playing Yaya. Unfortunately, uh, this this young woman has uh, has passed away since, but she she's in all parts of the film and 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 does a great job too. Very interesting screenplay, very well directed. This movie has gotten a you know is a risk of a film like Babylon was, but seems to have gotten a little bit more positive attention and a little bit more love than Babylon did. And it is it is one of one of the the great to me, one of the great comedies of the year. Uh if you go along with it, it is a longer movie. This seemed to be the year where long movies returned. And there were a lot of quite long films that I saw, but it has a real energy and momentum where I didn't feel the running time as much as I did with some other uh some other movies and including a fairly prominent superhero movie that just kind of dragged for me. This this movie had did not drag for me and is is a fascinating one that I I look forward to going back to. So that was my number seven choice, Triangle of Sadness. My number six film uh, is called Decision to Leave.
웃는 거 봤어? 젊고 예쁘고 외국인이어서 피의자가 돼야 되냐? 알리바이 입증된 거야. 예쁜 거 인정하시는 거네. 우리일 무슨 일이야? 당신을 끌어안고 행복하다고 속삭인 일이요? <웃음> 내가 그렇게 만만합니까? 내가 그렇게 나쁩니까? 살인은 흡연과 같아서 처음만 어렵다. It is directed by. Park Chan-wook, who is a very, very prominent Korean director. And this movie combines several genres together seamlessly. We're looking at a very interesting kind of police procedural and kind of action thriller. Uh, and there's a lot of allusions to, he's a big fan of Hitchcock. And so there's a lot of Hitchcock influences, certainly in, in this movie. But it also is an incredible romance. And uh, it, it combines those two beautifully. Uh, it's essentially about a, a police officer who's in a marriage where he has to go home for the week, or he goes home for the weekends, but he is living in the city uh, in his job as a police officer. So he's away from his wife a lot. And he ends up catching this, this murder case, which uh, could also be uh, a suicide. And it's, it's not completely clear. And it's this older man who uh, has a wife who is quite a bit younger. And as the investigation goes on, we see the police officer falls in love with this woman. But as more and more information comes along, there's uh, a very, very good chance that this woman has uh, killed her husband, but it's still not completely clear. And we kind of watch how that goes. And then we go into kind of a, a, a second half of the film where this woman, comes into his life again and uh, a similar thing looks like it's happened but closer to home where uh, where he leaves after he has decided to uh, take an, take another job as as a as a police officer but uh, but closer to where his wife is fascinating film beautifully shot great performances I really enjoyed enjoyed every minute of it and I mean I suppose some of these elements are, are, are kind of familiar. If you're a fan of film noir, as, as, as I am, I think there's some uh, wonderful film noir aspects to it. But some of the payoffs here are, are exceptional. And the movie doesn't really turn out the way you think it does. And there is some kind of interesting choices made towards the end. That's all I want to say without ruining it. But uh, Decision to Leave, is a movie that got got a decent amount of attention. I believe it won Best Director at the Cannes Film Festival. I, I was hoping it would be kind of following along with some of the recent Korean cinema into uh, an even more prominent kind of role with the with the award season. It certainly was kind of a regular in the uh, the foreign language or international feature categories with a lot of precursor awards. But 
uh, did not get an Oscar nomination, sadly. But I, I think it could have been a contender also for Best Picture and and, and Best Director. And, and the Best Director, <laughs> it was stacked this year. I mean, no matter what, there to get down to five was a tough decision for sure. But but I, I, I really enjoyed this one. It's a fascinating movie. And like all of the ones on my top ten list, I look forward to uh, revisiting it and knowing what I know about the plot, kind of watching it again and seeing what else I can discover on, on multiple viewings. Decision to Leave ended up as my number six film. My number five film is uh, called After Sun. I love you. Love you. Scotland. No. Why? And there's this feeling once you leave where you're from that you don't totally belong there again. You know, I want you to know that you can talk to me about anything. Whatever parties you go to, boys you meet, drugs you take. Dad! Oh my god, what even is that? These are my moves. <laughs> oh, that's so embarrassing. That's not embarrassing. You okay through there? I don't know, I guess. I just feel a bit down or something. What do you mean? Don't you ever feel like tired and down and feels like your bones don't work, like you're sinking? You never know where you'll end up though. You can live wherever you want to live. You want to be. You have time. It's written and directed by Charlotte Wells. And After Sun is a film about a young girl who is on vacation in, in Turkey with her father. But it's a bit of a memory film as well. And what we are watching, this is another one where you can take it quite literally, or you can kind of think that there's some, some visual hints, particularly at the beginning, that uh, what we are watching may be the quite accurate memories of this young young lady about 20 years later in her life as an adult, or uh, they could be false memories. But it's quite subtle, very well directed. This was a heck of a debut for, for Ms. Wells. And I, I do sense that this is a somewhat autobiographical uh, story. So there's a lot of kind of mystery to it. I certainly want to highlight uh, the two kind of key performances here. This young lady, Frankie Corio is her, her name, playing, playing Sophie. She's just outstanding, just a, a completely natural performance. And again, this is, you know, looking at a, a 13 year old girl who's on vacation with her dad and she's kind of, she's no longer uh, a young child, even though her father, um, and he's quite a young father, which plays into uh, some of the dy dy dynamics of the film for sure. But he sees her as a lot of fathers do as still a little girl, but she's not, she doesn't really fit in that world, but she's not old enough to hang out with like the older teenagers 
um, who are partying it up a little bit more on, on this resort that they're staying. And the dynamic, they quite clearly love each other, but there are points where, you know, there's a bit of tension. And there's sections where you, you kind of see that Sophie sometimes has to be the adult in the relationship. Paul Mescal, terrific performance, very subtle performance as the father, Callum. They're, uh, they're, they're Scottish. Uh, in the film, he's a I believe a Northern Irish actor, which again a bias for me given my uh, my family roots there. But uh, a very impressive performance, and there are things that are suggested but not told to us uh, throughout the film, and in the, a little bit later on, and particularly in the third act about his character that impacts. I feel like is what his daughter in in the present time thinks of him and thinks of this particular moment in this key vacation in time in their lives. It's, it's a subtle, complex film. It's uh, beautifully shot, beautifully acted. I am excited about this filmmaker, um, Charlotte Wells. I will watch whatever um, her next project is. And I'm very excited about the future of this, this Frankie Corio. I, I, I hope that she continues to kind of get connected to some prominent projects through uh, the UK there. And and um, I, I think she's a force to be reckoned with. I mean, uh, this might be like when I saw like young Jodie Foster or or young Natalie Portman. Like she has that kind of um, natural uh, potential movie star quality to her work, but also just a, a solid actor. Very impressive film. This is one again one of the, as I'm saying not the flashiest movie. This is not as flashy as as a. Babylon or some of the other movies I'm going to be talking about right away, but it's just a solid independent film from an exciting new filmmaker. And uh, not I'm not sure a lot of people have seen After Sun, but I would encourage everybody to check it out. It is uh, it is a terrific film, and please please uh, support this uh, kind of small film out of Scotland that is uh, has made its way all all the way up to uh, number five on my list and is kind of big uh, a big movie in my heart this was another one that uh, kind of brought me to tears in in certain places that I, I think a lot of people will enjoy it okay so I've gone from a very small independent film and my number four pick is anything but it was a complete and total surprise to me many months ago when I went to theater to see Top Gun Maverick What do we have here? Yeah, here I thought we were special. Fellas, this here's Bagman. Hangman. Whatever. What the hell kind of mission is this? Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they gonna get to teach us? Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, AKA Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage expectations. What the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. And we're off. Here we go. In three, two, one. 
combat on a level no living pilot's ever seen. Not even him. You think up there you're dead. Believe me. My dad believed in you. I'm not gonna make the same mistake. Someone's not coming back from this. Those are your pilots. Anything happens to them. You will never forgive yourself. No turning back now. Yet. I just had this idea. I want to see it on the big screen. I'm not a fan of Top Gun. It's okay. It was an 80s action movie. I know it was a big, big hit and helped make Tom Cruise into the major movie star that he has been for for, for decades. So I saw this with no expectations whatsoever. Maybe that's why it was so great an experience, such a great experience for me. And maybe others had low expectations and that's why it's really become one of the Hollywood blockbuster movies uh, to be reckoned with marching all the way to the academy awards quite deservedly and i think it is clearly tom cruise's best performance since his amazing performance in 1999's magnolia he's he's had some good roles along the way particularly minority reports steven spielberg's film but this has given him maybe the greatest arc it took maverick and who i saw as kind of a two-dimensional kind of arrogant fighter pilot from the first film and actually aged him gave him some more uh problems a chip on his shoulder and gave him some responsibility which played in uh greatly in this film and i i think it's it's a it's a wonderful performance from tom cruise as he comes back and he is being asked to now kind of take on essentially the tom scarrett role from the first film and he's training these fighter pilots, but he's a rebel as well. And it then leads into some a real world situation where they need to get these elite fighters ready to go for uh, for what's coming up. And it it is a thrill. I mean, it was a, a great big screen movie. I think we're going to be running out of the time where people can see it on the big screen. But as the years go on, if there's retro screenings of this, people need to, to see it. On the big screen, I had a great experience going to a movie theater to watch this. Jennifer Connelly plays Penny, Penny Benjamin, who runs the bar that, uh, that, all, that all of the fighter pilots go, go to. And her chemistry with Tom Cruise is terrific. Miles Teller, playing the son of Anthony Edwards' character from the first film. Maybe you could criticize it that he looks a little bit... They made him to look a little bit too much like uh, a 1986 character. But he serves the role well. And there's this interesting kind of forced father-son dynamic with, uh, with Tom Cruise. Scene that really got to me involved Val Kilmer. There's a lot of stuff, if you know kind of what's going on for Val Kilmer there, which made the scene with him and Tom Cruise just one of the greatest scenes in film this year. And I'll just leave it at that. I'll let people experience that scene for themselves and some good supporting 
actors in here. John Hamm is kind of like the the guy who is really frustrated with uh, Cruz and, and his antics throughout the film, but uh, he has some good scenes and and the whole thing works. Like this is when the best of a Hollywood studio film, and which and it's, and still exists. And you know when I look at Babylon, set a hundred years in the past, and here we are, you know, nearly 100 years later from when the, the actions of that film happened and a lot has changed. Uh, some things likely have not changed as well. But this shows that occasionally, as tough as it is, the studio system works. And this is certainly a movie that the late Tony Scott would have been the director of and uh, the movie pays tribute to him, which I was happy to see. And it was a could have been a, a victim of... COVID-19 because it was supposed to be out many, many years ago, but it came out at the right time when we needed a film like this that in the end, you know, a lot, there was a lot of depressing cinema out there and a couple of them I'm going to be talking about in a moment here, but this movie felt good. The end of it, I just felt energized. I felt great about the world. I felt great about being a movie fan. And so this was just a pure experience that was a joy. Uh, this this movie certainly spent a long time as my number one of the year because it was released quite a bit earlier than the other ones I'm going to talk about. But all that to say, it's it's here at number four. And it, it I there are a couple other really prominent, successful Hollywood films that came out this year. But this is the one that actually like has stayed with me and I had kind of the best time with and the best reaction to so there are some that i am not mentioning and are not being mentioned also on on my runners up list uh so uh, you'd probably figure figure that out not that they were bad films this was a billion dollar movie that was worthwhile and it was nice refreshing to have a successful hollywood movie that was not a superhero movie i don't know i don't know why i'm starting to get kind of tired of the superhero thing even though i've watched a lot of them and uh, some of them are are very good but it, w- it was nice that paramount had an enormous hit with top gun maverick and it's number four on my top 10 list and now for some Canadian content. We've been building up to the fact that Sarah Pauly, uh, her film Away From Her, and I uh, believe made my top 10 list and was a like a terrific kind of late in her career role for, for Julie Christie, who got an Oscar nomination, and uh, Sarah Pauly got a screenplay nomination. But Women Talking... talk about our bodies. We were given two days to forgive the attackers before they returned. We hardly knew how to read or to write, but that day, we learned how to vote. Do nothing. Stay and fight. Leave. Leave. If we do not forgive these men, we forfeit our place in heaven. Surely there must be something worth living for in this life, not only the next. We know that we've not imagined these attacks. We know that we are bruised 
and infected and pregnant and some of us are dead. We cannot forgive because we are forced to. Who are you? Who are any of you to pretend I have had a choice? that we must protect our children. I will become a murderer if I stay. We are not all murderers. Not yet. Men have taught the lesson of power to the boys, and they have been excellent students. But they are children, and they can be taught. Have we made a decision? Our choice? will be your future. Based on a novel by Miriam Toes and adapted by Sarah Pauly, a powerful experience of taking a look at a, a very ultra, ultra, ultra conservative, almost from a different era, Mennonite community. And when a bunch of men have been taken away on charges, uh, these assault charges, while the men are away, the women meet to figure out what they are going to do, taking a look at the options of continuing to put up with what they put up with for probably generations, to decide to fight against the men or to leave uh, their community. And uh, we get to see many different perspectives and it's just a fascinating film. It, it, at points it does feel like it, it could be a play, but there are some very cinematic notes, particularly towards the end. And Sarah Pauly has lined up just uh, a who's who of like right now, these are some of the most prominent female actors in, in cinema. Some are American, some are British. And they all deliver great performances. My favorite is Rooney Mara. She plays Ona. And she she is somebody who is very calm on the outside, but is strong in her ideas. And sometimes her ideas are conflicting with some of the more emotional uh, characters who are very kind of stuck in their point of view. And she is kind of in her own way. And one of the sweetest love stories of the year is her relationship with Ben Wishaw, who uh, is, is playing August, who is went off to university and came back. And he is the the school teacher for the boys because the boys are allowed to be educated the girls are not on the whole don't know how to read they know how to read kind of based on pictures and he is the one who is taking the minutes for these conversations with the women talking but he he has always always been in love with Rooney Mara and Rooney Mara is now she's now expecting a baby due to one of these assaults and the two want to are in love with each other they want to be together but the circumstances of the film make that nearly impossible and it's 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 just beautiful and their scenes together are, are, are beautiful we have claire foy who's you know was the uh first play she played the uh young queen elizabeth on the crown um and she's she's just been a scene stealer from the films that she has done i remember her in first man being uh given kind of an oscar uh caliber performance she's awesome jesse buckley who uh, was essentially of the nominees. She was my vote last year for Best Supporting Actress. She plays uh, Marich, who is an incredibly angry young woman, and she is on the camp that she wants to fight. She wants to fight 
these guys. And she also wants to fight the women who are in the room. And she has quite a quite a strong arc throughout the film as we start to see what her character is going through. It, it is a terrific performance. You might not at points find that you're liking her character as much as some of the other women, but it is a pitch perfect performance as well. Frances McDormand only has a few scenes and she is a woman that you can see with the scars on her face and she has suffered, but she wants to stick to what is traditional and she doesn't want her daughters to be part of this either and whatever scheme that these women come up with. She, she is stuck in the traditional ways and she doesn't even want to talk about it. Uh, she's a few scenes, but they're powerful, as they always are, because Frances McDormand is, that's just who she is. She's one of the producers of the film, and, you know, she produced Nomadland and, uh, you know, of course, won a couple Oscars herself as producer and actor for that a few years ago. And she's finding these wonderful projects with female directors to support. And, you know, I, 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 re I really do think that it's a shame that I'm happy the mo this movie has kind of moved. It has a Best Picture nomination, Polly has a screenplay nomination, and it it's, it's it's gotten some attention, but this cast is so good. I'm sure there were some some spots available, certainly in the best supporting actress conversation for a couple people. I'm I'm certainly for me it'd be Rooney Mara and Jesse Buckley that I would consider supporting actors. A very competitive field again too, but Ben Whishaw gives a, just a heartbreaking performance as well. Yeah, and, and it's, it's it's beautiful. It is uh, appropriately tragic, but there's. A lot to think about and to feel and it was interesting I, I spend a great chunk of the, the film trying to figure out where we are what is the time frame of this are we looking at is this is this the 60s is this 1970s and uh, when there's a moment when we realize <laughs> how deep in the 21st century that this community is is, is in it is it is eye-opening I uh, again I'm not I'm not sure going back to the novel what community this is based on but in, I think it would be I'm, I'm sure there are communities out there that refuse to be connected to the modern world at all uh, or uh, connected to the you know the government and kind of run things their own way but it, it's interesting to to not recognize this as as being you know in the fairly fairly modern times beautiful cinematography as well beautiful and kind of a dark and ominous way but it was a uh, luke montpierre there were there were a lot of contributors to this film that the the uh the music score by hildor guna daughter is, is amazing as well and also i mentioned brad pitt with babylon his production company with dd gardner was also part of the producing team that made women talking happen. And so I, I think people have to prepare themselves for how sad this movie is at points, but there's a certain amount of hope at the end of the day with this and, and, and that if people get together and talk about things and are honest, that there is the potential for change. And I think it's, if we look at this film as a, an allegory for the world that we're in right now, I think it becomes even more poignant and is a movie that will be thought of for years beyond this one. And uh, I'm happy that it's it's gotten some recognition. I certainly, I, as I said, I, I kind of wish that this was a year where the best director category could have had 10 nominees because Sarah Pauly, to me, was another female director who deserved attention, but not because she's female, but because this is such a, a well-directed film. And I uh, kind of like Charlotte Wells with 
After Sun, I, I think those were two of the best directed movies of the year. And, and I get how tough it was to, to kind of crack the list this year. So, And when it comes to the, the, the five gentlemen who are up for best director, when I, I talk about my Oscar show, this category, I, I have a lot of respect for all of them as well, too. So, But yeah, it would have been a good year for kind of a five to ten since in the best picture category they actually had 10 nominees and 10 quite good nominees and they haven't had 10 in this 5 to 10 structure since they reintroduced it and it was a good year for it now my runner up here my number two film another very prominent one from a very prominent director the fablemans movies are dreams That you never forget. Sammy? The lights change how everything looks. It's hard to find our house. Ours is the dark house with no lights. In this family, it's the scientists versus the artists. Sammy's on my team, takes after me. What kind of movie are we gonna make? You dismiss what he does, it's playful or imaginative. You could afford to be a little encouraging. She should have been the concert piano player. What she got in her heart is what you got. You can't just love something, you also have to take care of it. It's more important than your hobby. Can you stop calling it a hobby? Mom got a monkey. Why'd you get a monkey? Because I needed a laugh. You always have to be the center of attention. Stop shouting at her! That has been nothing but disrespect from you! I'm your mother! Family, art, it'll tear you in two. You stop making movies, it'll break your mother's heart. I don't know what to do anymore. You do what your heart says you have to. was your favorite part? Directed by Steven Spielberg and co-written and, and co-produced by uh, Tony Kirshner. Spielberg's great collaborator, but also the, the amazing playwright behind Angels in America. I think this is the moment where Steven Spielberg takes off the mask completely. And it's funny, I've, I've loved Spielberg films for sure. And I, I agree that he's one of the greatest directors in the history of cinema, but I've never had him as number one. And I, I think part of my my thing has been that he, he does very like sort of sentimental and emotional films, but he has maybe felt more comfortable in the world of E.T. or Jurassic Park or Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And he said in a recent award ceremony where he won Best Director that pieces of the Fableman story are in all of the films that he has done. But this is the one where he has been the most vulnerable and he waited 
a long time to be able to tell the story. And it was Kirshner who, when they worked on Munich, who encouraged Stephen to tell the story of his life, even though he's not using, it's not the Spielbergs, uh, it's the Fablemans, but it is is quite clearly the childhood of Steven Spielberg. And it is it is a moving film about this, this Jewish family and uh, the moves that they have to make in their lives and kind of centered a lot around his father played beautifully by Paul Dano. I've not been a Paul Dano fan, to be honest with you. He's been in a lot of prominent movies where I I haven't been as, as big on him, but this is his best performance of his career. And Michelle Williams, who is getting uh, deserved attention for uh, in the best actress category for playing Spielberg's mother. And she totally looked like, I remember seeing Spielberg's mom at, at the award shows when he he won for, for Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan. And they, they got the look down perfectly. And some people might accuse the performance of being over the top. But the more you look at Steven Spielberg's mother and, and her life, I think it's exactly right. Gabriel LaBelle plays young Spielberg. I mean, where they found this guy. I mean, he he looks like, totally like those those old pictures of, of Spielberg when he was a very young man. All the details are there. A very moving screenplay. This one got to me. It's not a surprise that Sp- Steven Spielberg movie would have the sentimentality and be able to get the tear ducts going there. But uh, I, I really felt a, a lot of different things throughout this movie and and the idea of uh, like a kid who grows up and, and loves cinema. And that is that is his thing. That is his passion, his connection to the world. It is He was born wanting to do this from seeing a movie that was very important. Uh, at a at a young age, I mean, I I, I personally can relate to this, uh, even though I can't relate to all of all of the aspects and the dramatics that have gone on in uh, in Mr. Spielberg's life. Seth Rogen, I have a whatever type of relationship with him and his movies. I've liked some, I've loved some, I really not liked uh, several of them, but he shows up in. A serious way playing this uncle benny who is uh, a friend of the family and plays a significant role in the first two-thirds of the film and i believe he's 90 years old judd hirsch comes in for an extended cameo and he just nearly steals the movie as this man who encourages young spielberg to pursue his passion in film and uses the example of what his mother could have been because she's such a talented musician but she decided not to pursue it and how how dangerous that is for an artist to not pursue their passion it's fascinating but you also kind of see how spielberg became you know there's the innovative scientist part that is his father and the and the artist that is his mother turned into one of the great popcorn hollywood filmmakers of all time and then there's this just wonderful sequence and a surprise uh at the end and some some very very clever work. You know the, the Spielberg film is going to have the top cinematography, the top production design and costuming and everything. But this one is one of my favorite Spielberg films. It's my favorite since I had mentioned earlier with Tom Cruise Minority Report, which was 20 years uh, earlier. And I, I did enjoy his, his remake of West Side Story last year. But this is on a whole different level. You know, uh, if it if it won Best Picture, I would say that that, that would be a wonderful thing. Uh, I, I don't know if it's going to, but I'll get into that in my Oscar show. But it, it was a close call for me between one and two. 
But I have to go on to my my choice is the best movie of 2022. And once again, I'm 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 going Irish with this one, as I did last year with Belfast with the Banshees of Inish Aaron. Callum Sonny Larry. Didn't you and he used to be the best of friends? We're still the best of friends. No, you're not. Who says we're not? Sit somewhere else. Now, if I've done something to you, just tell me what I've done to you. Well, you didn't do anything to me. I just don't like you no more. You didn't like me yesterday. Why does he not want to be friends with you no more? Why is he 12? What the hell's going on with you, me feckin' brother? He's dull, Siobhan. But he's always been dull. The other night, two hours, you spent talking to me about the things you found in your little donkey shite that day. Well, it wasn't me little donkey shite. It was me pony shite, which shows how much you were listening. If you don't stop talking to me... Callum! And if you don't stop bothering me, I have a set of shears at home. And each time you bother me from this day on, I'll take those shears and I'll take one of my fingers off with them and I'll give that finger to you until I have no fingers left. Does this make things clearer to you? Not really, no. Starting from now. But shush like, Polly. You know, shush like. Yeah, I'd shush like. Would you not want him to have to do the one finger to see if he was bluffing like? No, we wouldn't. Because worse goes to worse, he can still play the fiddle with four fingers, I bet ya. Going back to your own gang now, Parry. And talking to me, are you? Why aren't you talking to Parry no more? That wouldn't be a sin now, would it, Father? No, but it's not very nice either, is it? Do you know who we remember for how nice they was in the 17th century? Who? Absolutely no one. Yet yeah, we all remember the music at the time. Everyone to a man knows Mozart's name. I don't, so there goes that theory. Can't be waiting around for any more of this madness. Let's just call it quits. We won't call it quits. We'll call it the start. and directed by Martin McDonough, a, a playwright I admire, a writer I admire. And a few years ago, his film Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri was my choice as the best film of the year. I, I still stand by that. And a lot of people turned it into a bit of a political film. And I, I, I just think that was completely wrong. And there doesn't seem to be that criticism towards the Banshees of Initiaren, which is uh, feels in its way a little bit more personal. And this is another one that you have to think about it a bit. And it is a bit of an allegory for our times. But we're, we're looking at a male friendship that one day one of the friends decides uh, he doesn't want to be friends with the other fella. And there aren't a lot of people on this this island to be friends with. And things go very, very dark. It is it is a dark comedy, but there's also a lot of tragic notes. I could appreciate people seeing this more as a drama than a comedy. But some big themes through this microcosm of this island in 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 the Republic of Ireland. Again, nearly a hundred years ago, it's it's set in during the the uh, 1920s, and there's a greater civil war happening on the mainland, which is referred to and is 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 uh, is kind of in the background of everything that's going on on this island. And we get some of the best acting possible, and Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson have this 
amazing chemistry together and you believe that they've been lifelong friends but you also believe in this separation that's happened and they're both they're both remarkable and it's Brendan Gleeson playing Colm Doherty who decides to end the friendship and Colin Farrell's left with I like not knowing what to do and he he wants to talk about it and he wants more explanation and Brendan Gleeson doesn't want to talk about it and is annoyed by it and is makes some threats. And then we, we have some wonderful performances. I mean, the I mean, I, I love the work of everybody in here. So it's tough for me to say that somebody steals the movie away. But Carrie Condon playing Colin Farrell's sister, all of her scenes are perfect. I mean, it's the best of film acting. And as great as these two guys are, like she kind of comes up the middle and and it's her performance that, that really lasts. They all kind of last here too. But Barry Keegan, as well playing this Dominic who is another outsider on this 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 island and he's just socially inappropriate he doesn't know how to act around people he doesn't know how to talk to women but he's got a very tragic home life uh, his father is the main police officer who is drunk and abusive and and this poor guy is going through life trying to kind of find a place where he belongs and he has a scene with Kerry Condon which is just is one of the most heartbreaking things that you'll ever see so I get kind of emotional about this one as I did with Belfast last year I mean you know between the two I think Belfast is a, a is a slightly better film, but this is just such a strong screenplay. I mean, it is one of the great screenplays I've, I've ever seen, and, and that's very much how I felt about Three Billboards a few years ago, too. And um, I, I like this quite a bit more than In Bruges, which was the first time that Martin McDonough worked with Colin Farrell and, and Brendan Gleeson, even though that, that movie has a, a huge following as well. But it, it was a little bit more about killers and a bit of a thriller and a kind of a dark comedy as well. This one feels like a very personal film and I, I think it's a classic and it will be a classic for a long time. And so I said, if the Fablemans was to win best picture, uh, I would be, I would be happy about it. But if Banshees uh, won best picture, I'd be probably jumping on the roof. I'd be so excited. So the Banshees of Inish Aaron is my favorite movie of, of 2022. So just before I wrap up here, I, I I want to mention 10 more films that were very, very close to making the list. And so this is a way of some acknowledging a top 20, if you will. But these ones are not in the order that I would rank them, but it's more... Uh, alphabetical a movie i saw an apple an apple plus movie called causeway starring jennifer lawrence and brian tyree henry in one of the year's best performances about a a wounded warrior coming back to her her hometown uh, new orleans and a friendship she strikes up with a man who has his own uh, kind of tragic history controversially in one one of the horror movies that i i really enjoyed uh, there's a real hate on for for this one but halloween ends the end of the uh, david gordon green trilogy of Hall halloween films i like it i like that it wasn't exactly what people were expecting and i didn't always know where it was going but i know some some people didn't enjoy it as much kimmy very early in the year steven sonderberg released uh kimmy this really kind of wonderful kind of paranoid thriller and it's about this character who's uh yeah, this computer genius but works from home and is a bit of a germaphobe and then agoraphobia in there too and of course as the kind of plot go, goes goes forward and she's forced to leave her house we we kind of see what happens and it's uh, just an amazing sequence uh and a terrific third act so that that's one if you enjoy thrillers the way that i do and quite intelligent ones and kimmy is is, is a great one 
one that was very close, very close, uh, kind of late in, in the year, uh, Living, starring Bill Nighy, and in, in one of his great performances, he's been such a funny actor, but he is totally serious in this role. This is uh, a, a remake of uh, Akira Kurosawa's film, Akiro. Akiro's a, a great film. I, I, I don't think Living is quite as good as that, but it's a beautiful film. It, it, it will make you think, uh, and it, it takes a look at a man who's devoted himself to the rules and to the bureaucracy of his job. And when he's faced with this rather, rather difficult situation, the choices he makes, uh, are, are really interesting. So I, I think it's a movie that will work for for a lot of a lot of audiences. It's got some some sadness to it, but again, there's a certain amount of hope in there as well. Another really interesting satire comedy slash horror movie called The Menu, uh, about a bunch of rich and very entitled people that are being sent out to this island to have this rather unique dining experience with a famous chef. Uh, played by Ray Fiennes, and Anya Taylor-Joy goes along with uh, Nicholas Holt, and she was not expected to be the guest there, and it really changes uh, the plans, the interesting plans that that uh, the chef had for this extraordinary dinner experience, and it, it is something else. It might not be for everybody, because it is it is quite quite dark and where, where it goes but it's also very clever and another this great satire talking about where we are at in the world and, and and the things that we value if you were to take my triangle of sadness which was in my top 10 list and pair it with a menu I think that would be a really interesting relatively long but really interesting uh, double feature an early film called The Northman Robert Eggers film a bit of a Viking film bit of a revenge story as well. It looks great. You know, the production design, the costumes, the action. And yeah, Taylor Joy is also in this one. She was working a lot in 2022, as well as Nicole Kidman and Alexandra Sarsgaard and Ethan Hawke and just just a, a, a terrific cast. Willem Dafoe as well. It's worth checking out. It's, it's unusual as well, all Robert Eggers films are. It might be his most standard film, I guess, of The Witch, The Lighthouse, and now the Northmen, but I, I think if you're a fan of these types of movies and, and, and period films and revenge tragedies, uh, I think you'll enjoy this one. And Jordan Peele's film, Nope. I've enjoyed all of them, Get Out, Us, I particularly like, and, and now Nope, about this ranch uh, owned by uh, two young people whose father has just died and this horse ranch just where they use their horses for Hollywood films. And we start to see the traces of perhaps an alien visitation and what that does to the community. And it's it's done in, um, in kind of some unexpected ways. And it's interesting with this being a kind of year where Spielberg kind of takes his mask down and becomes a little bit more personal. I feel this is Jordan Peele's his version of a Spielberg film is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But being a Jordan Peele film, it's a lot more violent and a lot darker. Uh, it is it is a science fiction horror movie. Uh, and speaking of horror movies, this one nearly cracked the list. It was between Barbarian and Pearl, Ty West's film. He did two movies kind of following the same farmhouse and kind of the same family X, which was set in the 1970s, and then Pearl, which is uh, set in, I believe, the 1930s, about a young lady who has a, dreams of making it in, in show business and getting off the farm. 
and we see kind of the reality of what happens and how she's maybe not uh, the most stable human being as we discover in graphic detail towards the end. Mia Goth, I, I really wanted Mia Goth to get a Best Actress nomination. She has a one-take, almost 10-minute long monologue, which is beautifully, beautifully acted and is you're just impressed with what she's doing, but you're also just sends a chill up your spine. It is, again, among the great film acting, and there's a lot of great film acting in 2022. Ultimately, the reason it didn't make my top 10 list is I think I, I was celebrating an overall great performance, and Barbarian to me was a great overall film and story and had I guess maybe some more unexpected twists and turns than Pearl did but Pearl was, was pretty close to cracking the list. As was She Said kind of along the lines of a, a spotlight in movies like that about in the uh, New York Times and the uh, two reporters that uncovered the Harvey Weinstein scandal which kind of led to the Me Too movement and there's a lot of suspense and we take a look at the value of, of journalism and investigative journalists and it is, is quite well done in particular i'm an enormous fan of carrie mulligan as people know uh, a few years ago i wanted her to win best actress for promising young woman and she's kind of the established reporter who is not afraid to question anybody and kind of gets gets things going but she's also a recent mother and being a mother the importance of revealing this scandal becomes more and more prominent as as the movie goes on it's a solid film that i think people should check out and finally and and this one, again, a performance, and it's not just this one performance, but the performances maybe outweigh uh, the overall film. But Darren Aronofsky's The Whale, Brendan Fraser with his full-on comeback performance as, as a man who is dangerously overweight and is in, in danger of dying at any moment. And we see all of these different characters and it, I believe is based on a play and it, it feels like it's kind of a play on film because it is mostly set in his apartment. And we see different characters come in. Uh, Samantha Morton, who is terrific in an extended cameo and she said as well, his ex-wife, and he's trying to connect with his daughter, played beautifully by Sadie Sink, who's most known for uh, the TV show Stranger Things. And then in a, a really interesting role, another actor who's in more than one of my uh, my runners up this year, we have Hong Chao, who uh, was in the menu, hosting the uh, dinner in, in the menu, very effective in that. But I think even more so as Liz, who is, she's a nurse who comes in and, and takes care of Charlie, played by Brendan Fraser. Uh, but she's also the sister of a, a man who Charlie uh, fell in love with. And uh, there's some tragic background. Uh, the Whale is not a happy movie. It did get me. I was, uh, towards the end of the film, I, I really did cry quite a bit, due primarily to uh, Mr. Brendan Fraser's performance. And this is another one. It was a close one for a while it was on my top 10 list but I decided to go in a slightly different direction but I would not steer people away from the whale I would just warn them that like with some of the uh, movies that we're talking about women talking films like that very serious subject matter very moving subject matter but I think people would get a lot out of the whale and and see some some great film acting and I'm a fan of Darren Aronofsky I'm an apologist for him I'm, I'm not sure kind of like the Requiem for a Dream and the wrestler kind of run of, of, of his career he's not quite 
where he once was, but I feel like he has another great film in him. This is close to being a great film, but this was not a director's film to me. This was a bit of a writer's film and certainly an actor's vehicle and, and, and to Aronofsky's credit, he, he makes it about the story and he makes it about the actors. Uh, but we we see his usual uh, kind of religious references throughout the film. And, and, and there, there are touches of Darren Aronofsky in there, even if it's a slightly more contained film than some of his his bigger projects in, in recent years. So that those are essentially, I've highlighted 20 films, but uh, I've gone into a little bit more detail with my top 10. I hope you enjoyed this uh, solo episode. And very soon, my friend uh, Kurt Fitzpatrick and I are going to be going through six major categories of the Oscars for the If We Shed the Nominees. This will be the, the third annual If We Shed the Nominees. So more to come on that, but if you've been listening to this, you might have an idea of, of some of the performances and some of the films that I'm going to be championing on those those shows. I, I hope you'll uh, enjoy this episode, and I hope you will uh, listen for those coming up very soon. Until then, please support Friendly Podcasts, Rank and Review, Film Feast, Schlock and Awe, a Lifetime of Hallmark, all friends of the show and appreciate their support, being guests on this this uh, program uh, in the past and certainly uh, in the future. And again, please just be kind to one another and support the movies. And I hope in 2023 you get to have a Top Gun Maverick type of wonderful theatrical experience as well as enjoy some smaller artistic films and then enjoy some genre films. If you enjoy horror, a movie like Barbarian that can surprise you. There's so many great movies out there and I'm, I'm feeling optimistic and positive about the future of cinema after 2022 was kind of our first truly normal year in a long time. I'm going to keep watching the movies and keep celebrating them. Take care.